Hey everyone, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We are back after our crazy road trip series to Daniel on how to remain unshakable in an unstable world. Have you ever had a boss or a parent or a friend or somebody say, I need you to do this for me. And you go, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can get this done. I don't have the time or I don't have the money. I don't have the background. I don't have the talent. I don't have the connections. Your boss walks in and says, I need this by Tuesday. And you're thinking maybe two Tuesdays from two months from now, many times in your life, you're going to be faced with difficult, near impossible situations. And what do you do when these situations comes up? I told you in previous messages in this series that God always tests you before he blesses you. And in this story of Daniel, we're looking at nine major tests in his life. And these are common tests that we're going to go through. And Daniel's already gone through three of them. And each one he's passed and has gotten promoted. Now, a little recap about Daniel. Daniel starts out as a 15-year-old prisoner of war in a foreign nation. By the time he's 85, 70 years later, he's the second most important man in the entire empire. And the Babylonian empire was the number one empire in the world when Daniel was taken captive. He had enormous power, enormous influence, and he gets promoted every time he takes it, passes a test. This is Daniel's fourth test. The test where you're asked to do the impossible. So what was Daniel asked? Well, let's read Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from the gifts and rewards in great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now that's what you call a crisis. The king's about to assassinate you, and they're all worried about what's going on here. All the wise men. Daniel is now a wise man, and why is the king so upset? Well, one of the traits of human behavior is that we all want to know the future. We want to know what our dreams mean. You know, you, you want to know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year, the rest of your life. 
And the reason why we, when we think we can know the future, we think we'll have a little bit more control over it. Be prepared for it. But God doesn't want you to have control over your future. He wants you to trust him about the future. And that's why he doesn't tell you the future. We think if we know the future somehow, it gives us a little grasp on control. Now here's the rub. The more insecure you are, the more in control you desire to be. Anytime you see somebody who is a high control person, you can know they're very insecure. They are a high insecure person. The more insecure you are, the more you try to control everybody and everything around you. If you're secure, you don't need to control anybody. Go on, you do your own thing. I'll do my thing and we'll all be fine. You know, today, 2,500 years later, after this event in Babylon, people are still trying to figure out the future. And because we are so desperate for control, so desperate for hope, we go through all kinds of crazy stuff like seances, tea readings, palm readings, horoscopes, Ouija boards, medians, and so on and so on, trying to figure out what the future is all about. Even in high school, I remember looking at a magic eight ball. Now, we just laughed about it, but there was a sense of, What's the future hold? Before we look at how Daniel handled this problem, to tell the king his dream and tell him what it means, I mean, I'm just going to pause here. And since we're talking about astrologers and medians and psychics and seances, let's just pause here and look at what God says about fortune telling. First thing, no one knows the future except God. Anybody who tells you that they know the future is lying. Most of the things that happen in your life that you are surprised about, both the good and the bad. God says nobody knows the future. Ecclesiastes 8, 7, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what's to come? There's so many verses about this. The Bible's really clear. Ecclesiastes 10, 14, fools claim to know the future and, and love to tell anybody who listens. My, my addition, especially if you'll pay them. But no one knows what's going to happen. God wants to reveal to me, to you only enough that I can obey him today and in this moment. And the rest of the time he wants us to trust him so we can grow in our character. He reveals only what we need in the moment. I remember when I got married to Jeanette, I knew she was the one, but I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what was in store for us. I didn't know about children. I didn't know about anything. And so I was like, okay, God, you put this woman in my life. I'm going to ask her to marry her. I have no idea what kind of wife she's going to be. I think she's going to be great, but I'm going to trust God. And I don't know what the future is going to hold. So many people go into marriages and they're like, hey, I think this is going to work out, but I don't know 100% because I don't know the future. I'm going to trust God that he's going to work it through. And he did so far. It's been, let me see, 25 years plus and counting. I keep forgetting that. It's so hard. I have to do the adding in my head. Kind of wish I got married in like 95 or, you know, or like an even year, but I have to do the, I have to do the addition in my head anyway, you know, and I, I remember, you know, we got together and we're like, I'm going to be a pastor and I have to go to seminary and we had to pay off my college tuition before that. So we paid that off before we even got married. And then when we got married, we we're like, I'm going to school in a year and we don't have any savings. So we decided I'm going to work real hard and do the three-year plan. That's so difficult to get it through because it's cheaper that way. 
because it was the same price for the year, whether you took 12 or 17 credits. So every semester while I was in seminary, I took close to 17, 18 credits, which made it really hard, but also made it about $15,000 cheaper. So I remember we going into the year and we have enough for the first year of seminary, maybe the first year and a half. So we did, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how we were going to pay the rest, but somehow we were able to save while Jeanette worked by herself. We, we ate on a budget. I think it was like we had 25 bucks a week for the two of us. I think that's what we did. 25 bucks a week. That was our budget. We never ate out. We just went out to, uh, and bought the cheapest things we could possibly eat and we made it. And now I, I look at our food budget. And I'm like, holy smokes, 25 bucks. That's like a meal. We did it for a week. I don't know. Maybe inflation. I don't know. But, you know, now I look back and I'm like, man, you know, my whole life has changed. Everything's different. The future is hard to grasp and we don't need to know. No one knows about it except for God. Second, all psychics, medians are frauds. This is something that you got to know. Isaiah 44, 24 to 25. I am the Lord who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense. Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. Basically, God is saying, I don't want you to look for anybody else. If you want to know the future, you come to me. Leviticus 20 verse 6 says, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from their people. Because if you're involved in any kind of this stuff, you know, we're just playing. We're, you know, tea readings, palm readings, Ouija board, tarot cards. We're just having fun with it. Just walk away. Don't go near it. Because you're going to get involved with stuff that is, is just guessing. And you get involved with people who are fakes and frauds. And you're just wasting your money. In the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells us that anybody who is a false prophet should be put to death in Israel. That's how serious this thing was. Because if instead of turning to God, we turn to a false person. God hates that. And now, you look at Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a smart king. He tells the, the wise men, the prophets, the soothsayers, the fortune tellers, he says, tell me what I dreamt. All the time when we go to a psychic, we think, oh, you know, you tell us. But, he, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, 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 no. If you know what my dreams mean, you should know what they are. That is amazing. Never, you will never go to a psychic and say, charge it to my credit card number. Well, what is it? Okay, I'm thinking about it. You should know what it is. If you're a psychic, go ahead. But they don't because they're frauds. We think, oh, it's just for fun. It's no big deal. You know what? It can lead you down a rabbit hole. And before you know it, you're lost and you don't know what's what. Just stay away. It's, it doesn't help. Third, the test of a true prophet is 100% accuracy. Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, then that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. I still remember the one time in my life where someone prophesied over me. 
they came over to me. I was at a church down in Georgetown, Delaware, and I was working with the pastor in a Rehoboth Beach church, and I was going to, I was about to get hired there, but little did I know that didn't happen. But that was the week I was about to get voted on, and everybody was positive about it. And I was with him visiting another church, and this person came over, laid their hands on me, and started prophesying. And they prophesied about how I was going to make a big impact in Rehoboth and do all these things, and hundreds of people were going to come to know Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And she went on and on and on and on. And, and she told me what my future was going to be the next 10 to 20 years, what it was going to look like, how I was going to help, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. This is nuts. This stuff doesn't really. And the pastor who was with me, who I wanted to work with, he looked at me and he said, Matt, you should write it down to see if it comes true. And then that way you can compare it because you never know. What if it comes true? And I just looked at him like he was crazy. I was like, no, it's not going to come true. And two days later, I knew it was going to come true because I didn't even get voted to that position. I never even served anywhere near the area. And I went to nowhere near. I did nothing like what this guy prophesied, which obviously means he just made it up, which means according to the Bible, he should be, well, I'm not going to say, because that was the Old Testament. We don't go that way anymore, but he should not have done that. Too many times we listen to people, we listen to prophecies and we're like, you know, if it's not 100% accurate, it's not from God. I love it when Nebuchadnezzar called the so-called psychics, said, prove to me. Don't tell them a thing. Don't do their leading questions. Anybody can pick up a book of magic and read leading questions and you can get pretty much them to say anything and get all the information you know. And you're like, well, some of these psychics are really good. No, 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 no. Any kind of doubt I had in my mind. Have you ever watched the Mentalist TV show? The Mentalist TV show, it came out, oh gosh, 15, 18 years ago. And it was a amazing show because it talked about how you can predict and like get into people's heads and really manipulate people's minds. And that's what a mentalist does. And it was amazing. Because the whole point of the show was, was showing you how psychics are frauds. And, you know, his whole point was never give psychics any information. So I, I found that fascinating. So, you, you know, I haven't seen it on Netflix or anything, but it was, a, it was a neat show called The Mentalist. And it opened my eyes to show you how one leading question can really show you everything you need to know about somebody. So anyway, so if a psychic comes to you and, and they say, like Nebuchadnezzar, tell us your dream and we'll give you the meaning. No, no, no. Remember, if you're psychic, tell me the dream. If you're on a phone, which you shouldn't be, the psychic hotline. Remember that? I remember going when I was in high school and we would have on TV and they'd be like, call the psychic hotline. And it was pretty funny. So if you're, if you're dating yourselves and and you remember those old TV commercials, the psychic hotline, the first question that they ask you, what's your credit card number? And you should say, well, I'm thinking about it. I'm pressing up against my forehead. You should know what it is. And I'm ready. <laughs> You're a psychic. This is my test for you. Be able to read it. I'm holding it right now. <sighs> By the way, why shouldn't you pay anybody for what you already know? Because they'll ask you questions like, what about this? What's the name of this person? 
Why should I pay you to tell me something I already know? That's not psychic. I already know I have a sister named Pam. Why would I pay you for something I already know? That's not psychic. It's just dumb. In Daniel 2, the the first part of the chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing nightmare. And he keeps having it over and over and over again. And he keeps calling in the the occult people and tell me what it means. Tell me or I'm going to kill you because you're worthless. I'm paying you all this money. You do all this stuff. You're not doing anything. Then in about verse 14, which we didn't read, Daniel shows up. He intervenes. Let me have a shot at this. He goes off and prays and talks to God. He says, God, help me out here. I need to know the king's dream. And only you know. So God reveals it to him in a prayer. The king's dream. Now, dreams can go off the rails. I remember the first couple of years of marriage, my wife used to tell me her dreams. And they used to be so far out. I thought she was like on an LSD trip because there's no way a rational person could have these dreams. And I looked at her, I would look at her like she was crazy. And she was like, don't you dream? I was like, no, I really didn't dream. Every once in a while, I'll dream. I think in the past five years, I've had two dreams. I don't dream much or I just don't remember. I don't know. You know, dreams are weird. And for Daniel to be able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream is supernatural. It's impossible. They could have guessed a thousand different dreams and never guessed it. And not only did Daniel guess the dream, but he explains it to the king. And the king honors Daniel and him and his friends get promoted. So what we're going to look at in the next couple pods is the eight things that Daniel did when he was faced with an impossible assignment. This was an impossible assignment to explain the dream and to tell him what the dream was. Because he's only 17. What do you do when you're asked to do the impossible? First thing Daniel did, don't be panic. Don't be afraid. In Daniel's case, he had a legitimate reason to be worried. If the government sends, is going to send someone to assassinate you, you can panic. It's okay. <laughs> Daniel 2.14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him. He went right up to him. He said, hey, you know, executioner, <laughs> I got something to tell you. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. In other words, he's like, hey, I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry. Don't go out yet and kill everybody. I, I got an answer. Once again, Daniel's faith is tested. And he passes with flying colors. And the first thing he does, he doesn't panic, but even talks to the executioner calmly. The guy shows up to kill him. Not bad for a teenage kid. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. When you're asked to do the impossible, that's the first thing you do. Don't panic. So what are you panicking about this morning? Is there something in your job, something in your work, something in your finances where you think I'm never going to get out of debt? You're feeling bad and you're wondering if it's really bad. You're wondering if your health is, is going to hold up. What are you worried about? Your marriage, your future, a family emergency? Don't panic. Do what Daniel did. Go to the Lord and cast your cares upon him. Because remember, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you on a cross. That if you ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you of all that. He'll adopt you into his family. You'll be his child. And for the rest of your life, he'll be with you. And he'll be with you there even after you die to live eternally with him in heaven. And that's what you have to look forward to. But he's with you. So don't panic. 
don't be afraid. So when you're asked to do the impossible, and there are many times in life that we are, first thing you got to do is don't be panic and don't be afraid. So whatever it is you're panicking about, you know what? Maybe turn it over to God. And next week, or next pod, I should say, we will look at the second thing to do. So God bless, and I hope to see you in the next pod.